1: You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. There it is. The old intros back. I'm sick of awesome it's <laughs> like, don't it? you start? Don't you start? So many people moaning in the last episode. You can't please all the people all the time. So I thought, you know what? I'm having an easy life. I'm going back to what it used to be, and that is it now. It's never changing again. So deal with it if you don't like it. Hello. Welcome to the Crimebeat Podcast. <laughs> I'm Dan and your aggressive host to begin with. There, joined by uh, Matt Kendrick. Matt, how are you?
0: I'm all right. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm mellow now. Now I'm listening to that nice relaxing music. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Let's move on from the music. Uh, We're here today to do another little episode of our Beyond the Podcast. So we did this last time when we went... 500 million miles to Cornwall and back to speak to the legends of 1982 and we thought we kind of needed a behind the scenes podcast to go with it. Now unfortunately this one doesn't have behind the scenes footage like we had for the Cornwall one because I haven't, wasn't prepared to do to do the extra stuff because the day itself of filming with Martin O'Neill was a bit hectic but there's been loads of comments on, on the podcast and it's been very well received obviously in the, in the last week or so, I think it was last Wednesday we did it I think. And the first comment that kind of prompted this and we, we always said we were going to do some kind of behind the scenes but there was a, a comment from a guy called Black rum. He said, "Now I'm intrigued to hear Matt's post-interview thoughts. What did he genuinely take away from the experience? Does he have a better insight, or is it still a, as prickly as it sounded in the interview?" So before we get into any kind of specifics, how do you feel about the interview now, one week on? Are, are you happy with it? Do you think we could have done more? What, what are your kind of over overarching thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, I'm pleased with it. I've, I've been been really, really chuffed with the the response that we've had to it. It's it's gained a lot of views quite quite quickly, and like mm. you said, the comments on the whole have been positive about the interview, positive about the way that O'Neill came across, um, positive about the. I think somebody described it as a bit like an electrical storm. I think my, my relationship with, with Martin and how it was <laughs> how it came across. So the regret, and I think we we said this at the time, we've probably been a little bit harsh on ourselves, was that it lasted what 40 45 minutes when we probably could have done we could have le- done done twice that easily probably mm. could have split it into four or five parts um and i felt initially when we left the room that probably could have probed a little bit more about when the first crack started to appear in his mm. relationship with Randy Lerner but we didn't have time to do that, and the feedback that we've got, I think people are genuinely pleased that he's actually come out and said things that he's not said before. but he's spoken in more detail about his departure from Aston Villa with yeah. us on that podcast than he has before. So perhaps we shouldn't worry too much about what we didn't ask, and just be kind of grateful that we, we got a good interview where he did finally answer some questions.
1: Well, I think I'm always pretty harsh on my own work. That's just in my nature. I'm always, I always want to improve. I will look it's back on it. On go, oh, I mean,
0: most of the time, that's probably why
1: all oh, right fair enough uh i'll look at it and think oh, i could have filmed this slightly different could have tried this could have done that but when we when I first came out i think on the car ride home we were kind of assessing it between us what we thought we'd got in the bag before we kind of looked at the edit of it and i was saying it oh, kind of 6.5 7 out of 10 like it's good but it probably could be could be better we needed more time that's the, the biggest kind of takeaway of course but it's it's that kind of insight that we know what it could have been, whereas the audience only see that 45 minutes and just take it as read as that was it, That's that was everything. Whereas I know that we basically skipped an entire page of questions. So for us, there's literally questions unanswered because we prepared the stuff or you prepared yeah. the stuff. And it was like, right, well, you've got about 10 minutes left. And it was like, oh, this piece of paper. Right, right, let's get rid of all those questions. Then let's just skip ahead a little bit. So for me, I was thinking it's good. I'm, I'm pretty happy with what we've got, but I know it could have been better. First of all, you wrote a piece about it as well. And you kind of started off by mentioning the, the Sunderland press conference from a few years ago and the kind of animosity between the, the two of you and what changed since that. So do you just want to share with us a little bit about how the interview came about and your initial reaction to, is this actually going to happen or not?
0: Yeah, that's, so the last time I'd, I'd... It wasn't the last time I'd been in a room with Martin O'Neill, but the last time I'd spoken to Martin O'Neill was back in, I think it was April two thousand and two thousand twelve 2012, when he came back as Sunderland manager. It was his first trip to Villa Park. Um, Villa drawn 0-0. Um, Craig Gardner got sent off. It was a fairly unremarkable game. And um, at the end of the game, in the press conference... I let everybody else have their questions, first of all. Um, You know, what do you think of the match, blah, 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 blah. And then I heard him say the word, um, sorry, in a completely different context. Being the irritating little fool that I am. (laughs) Irritating git, yeah, to use Martin's words, that, that I am. I pounced and I said, um, hi, Martin, I uh, heard you said the word sorry. I didn't quite understand what, what context you, you were saying it in. Did you, uh, were you apologising for the timing and manner of your departure from Aston Villa? And honestly, he just he <laughs> flew out of his seat, started kind of wagging his finger at me. If you don't mind, I won't take a question from you. And I kind of uh, just being a bit mischievous said, I don't mind. Can I invite one of my colleagues to ask it on my behalf? And he just stormed out. So when we've spoken about the prospect of getting Martin O'Neill to tell his story, on a villa podcast it was very i think you put it at the start of the podcasting you were speculating that yeah. it probably wouldn't happen a mutual contact um of ours of mine and o'neill somebody who is helping him promote his book just sent me a message out of the blue a couple of weeks ago saying do you fancy interviewing martin o'neill and uh, i just checked to say is this an april Fool? um yeah. is this is this real is it really genuine and he said it was um and all of a sudden I had Martin O'Neill's new Twitter account following me on Twitter. So we <laughs> all started coming together. I checked with his contact of mine, will we be able to discuss the things we want to discuss, the exit, his feelings all these years on, some of the things that contributed towards it. And he said, yeah, go for it. You know, he's in a he's got a book to promote, which always helps, doesn't it? He's got a book to promote. Uh, he touches on some of those things in his book anyway. And he's in a place whereby the passage of time, makes him confident enough to to give his take on it after all these years. So that's how it all came about.
1: Yeah, I remember you sent me a voice note, I think, saying...
0: This is not a wind-up. I repeat, this is not a wind-up. I think I'm very close to
1: getting Martin O'Neill on the podcast. Yeah, I'm as shocked as you are. Surely not. It's like, you're, you're at this point, you're having me on. If someone's having you on, you've had me on as well, because I just thought, if he is ever going to do it, it might be a, a streamyard thing and it'll be Ash or, or one of us having to do cause he won't speak to you is the kind of narrative I've always believed because you you didn't get on and, and that would be that. Going back to the YouTube comments, there's was again loads of stuff saying oh, what a coup this is, well done for getting him on, this is fantastic from, from a guy here called Shadow, wow, how did you get him on? And somebody replied underneath, he has a book to flog. People like, use that as a bit of a stick to beat us with going, oh, you've only got him on the podcast because he's promoting a book. It's like, well, that's media. That's how a lot of these relationships work. No one's going to Jonathan Ross's show to speak to Jonathan Ross. It's because to promote their new TV series next week. That, that, that's part and parcel of the give and take of the interview in the interviewee, isn't it? You've got something to promote. We want to hear your story as well. So like you say in that story, you wrote, we're not naive enough to think that Martin Ariel went, you know what, let's rekindle an old flame with Matt Kendrick. I want to go and have it out with him and, and have a chat. He wants to use our audience to promote his book, which is absolutely fair enough. And the link's down below if you want to go and buy it. But for us, we get one of our most viewed podcasts out of it and an exclusive of Martin O'Neill, who's not done a Villa podcast ever before. He's done another one since. and He might do another couple in, in the future, perhaps. But he's not spoken about his time at Villa in that detail before. And as much as we kind of away thinking, we could have asked more. We could have said this. We could have said that. What we did get is an exclusive that's not been said before. So yes, we'll scratch his book and uh, scratch his book, scratch his back and promote the book. But that's just well, the way it goes, isn't that, it?
0: <laughs> yeah, he's promoting his book. That's 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 the way the uh, that's the the way the world the world works. But what I would say is I've had a, a few people and listen, I'm not suddenly going to become an advocate for Martin O'Neill and say that 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 what he did was was perfectly perfectly fine. And all of a sudden, you know you know, he's my favorite ever person again. But what I would say is when people are saying he was, he's only showing regret and contrition because he's selling the book. I don't believe that bit because from the bits that I've known of Martin O'Neill from my personal experience with him down the years, he wants this book to sell, but Mm. he's still going to be able to heat his house. um, And you know what I mean? To afford to put turkey on the table for Christmas. So it's not, A purely financial thing he doesn't need to change his tune so much to sell this book that he would come out and say things publicly that he doesn't believe in Mm. i think the contrition that we we saw was a man who's had 12 years to think about that was probably as as good as my i don't mean as good as my career got he had great times at at celtic and i'm sure he was proud to manage the republic island but that was a missed opportunity he's had 12 years now to think if I could have just processed my emotions and dealt with my frustrations better, that could have been, you know, I could have really gone on, you know, despite the constraints, I could have gone and achieved something. So mm-hmm. I think that is genuine. Martin O'Neill looking back, you know, with the what the the Monday morning quarterback was it or the the you know benefit of hindsight and retrospect and thinking I got that wrong, and he's admitted yeah. he's effectively admitted much, and I didn't turn up to that interview at Birmingham at where we Mal Mason... Last um, last Wednesday, thinking that he was going to come out and say I was wrong.
2: The bottom line is that uh, if you're asking me now, and uh, in fact, even if you'd asked me to maybe maybe uh, maybe a year after events, then you know I would certainly have. Um, I, well, I would uh, I would have stayed on at the football club, pushed on. And I wouldn't have been, people said, oh, it's because, you know, it was, he was asking for more money, which is a, a, an absolute myth. The myth wasn't the case. I did say to Randy that some stage or another you will get, you will get your money back for the likes of James Milner, um, Ashley Young and Stuart Downing, and you will make some money in those deals. Let's uh, let us try and push on, which they did do. I was expecting perhaps more from the likes of Sidwell and uh, and um, uh, Nigel Rhea Coker, you know, at the time, really expecting that. So, but overall. We had um, we had a, I, I thought we had a squad capable of would certainly certainly be in the top six. Can we push into those last two positions? That was that was it. But uh, th- this idea that I was uh, you know I was asking for a lot lot more than that. There it was simply not true.
1: I've not read the whole Villa section. We got sent a, a, well, I got sent to my value a little bit of the book as a bit of research prep. Whatever that I think the night before the day before that we were doing it, and I read through it kind of with. Baited breath, wondering, oh, but, you know, what does he say? What's in there? And when we were doing the podcast, there were some things that he started to talk about and some stories he started to tell were, were not word for word for the book, but you can tell, like, he's on the press junket. He's told this story before that's that bit from the book that I've read. Like there's those little snippets. There's a a chapter on Villa in his book and it's, I don't know, however many pages it is. There's a 40 minute podcast with us and there's more, you know, he says more in more detail in the podcast than he does in the book, in the snippets that I've read. So for this kind of argument of, oh, you know, he's only ever going to say what he's already written down in the book already isn't strictly true because the podcast allows him to go into greater detail. Just on his kind of persona during that interview, there's a couple of comments. One from Cray, you said he seemed very defensive and another from Rusty Shackleford. He says, I found it odd how he wasn't actually answering any of the questions and was just saying what he wanted to talk about. To me, that felt a little bit, again, being on the press junket, talking about these things a lot, having all these stories racing around his head and trying to get as much out as possible. But there was times where I just thought, you've not quite answered the question there. You've gone down your own garden path and spoke about something else. And you know, you told me afterwards, that kind of is Martin O'Neill.
0: I think in terms of him being scattergun, he's always traditionally been very difficult to transcribe you get to press mm. comments because he would start a sentence and then do a a double up, double back, and then come back in the different direction. Defensive, and I, I, I can, I, yeah, he's come, he's, he's come along with some pre-prepared stuff that's in his book that he wants to talk about. I actually found that the question, even if I asked the question and it, it got a slightly different answer, the answer was interesting enough that I didn't need to. I either didn't need to or didn't remember to go any back. Got him back mm. on track. To be honest, I don't know about. I don't know about defensive. You know, he's, he's a proud man, isn't he? The Kale one, I suppose, is the one, isn't it? When he's talking, obviously Kale's retired this week. Yeah. A, a very, a very um, decorated player with 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 what he's worn and what he's gone on to achieve. Uh, and he's he's clearly got that kind of pre-rehearsed in terms of you know Gary Kale wasn't that player back then. You know, I don't think he was ready. He went via Bolton, so. He's not going to come out and say he got everything wrong, is he? Yeah. You know what I mean? He's, he, I think he's come out and said he got the big one wrong, which was leaving Villa when he did and the manner really he did. Martin O'Neill, as far as I'm aware in the last 12 years and my experience has split Villa fans in terms of there's those who never have never seen anything better than, the, than what we achieved under O'Neill because they're mm-hmm. of that generation, that's, probably that's yourself. Yeah. And there's those who felt that it was spiteful. What he did, mm. and almost whatever he achieved or threatened to achieve at Villa, the gloss is gone. Like the, the 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 legacy is tainted. But I think it was important for us, and I wrote this. It was important for us to reflect both sides. Uh, we probably could have, you know, and I'll possibly regret that I didn't go more down this in terms of the, like say, the breakdown of the relationship. Probably could have gone harder and more focused on the end of it and what mm. what he's thought since and, and that kind of thing. But I felt we we had a duty to reflect some of the, the good times, some of the the players that he signed, some of the players that he improved, some of the things that he he achieved in terms of successive European finishes and Wembley appearances, cup finals, semi-finals. I hope and the comments that we've had seem to reflect it that we did do a fairly rounded a rounded job on it really
1: it was a very conscious conversation that you and me had beforehand as well how, how do we approach kind of the structure of it how do we film it you know what order do we do things in and you know we, we first initially you came to me and said you know do we almost start at the end and talk about the leaving first and get a good 20 minute chunk on that and then go we've kind of got the bad stuff out of the way let's talk about the cup finals and and you know, the players you sign and whatever else but when you actually and again this is a different stream you'll see a comment saying you should have been hard on this or you should have asked that once you're in the room and you've obviously got this spiky relationship as well you're not just going to sit down and go right Martin let's talk about how you left and how you ruined Aston Villa for, for 10 years because you've got to have some kind of rapport and build something up so in the end we decided right let's do it sort of kind of semi-chronologically and start with the good times and then a good time for half an hour and then the ending for half an hour or so. That was kind of the rough plan. But then I think you asked him a question about who his favourite signing was or something in the first three or four minutes and then he started to talk about how he left straight away. I mean, yeah. hindsight—that was probably the time to go. Well, you've mentioned Obviously leaving Let's, let's go then. down that route
0: now. But it's we a won't... Danger, Dan. So to cut across you, there's a danger. I didn't know what he was like. The last time I spoke to him, we yeah. walked out the room, so I didn't want to go too much about God. Too much sticking the knife in from the first ten minutes in case we lost him. You know, in case he well, that would him. have and been I a great mean, podcast. Would made, it. <laughs> telly, it? it would have made good telly, wouldn't it? It would have made good telly. But I wanted, I wanted, but well, I wanted an hour. We got forty-five minutes. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was. I thought it was a good, good experience. It was quite cathartic yeah. for me, to yeah. be honest. That I could sit down in a room and and, and discuss those things, with him. and it was. And it was spiky. And some people have said, oh, Matt, he clearly hates you. Yeah, I've um, got that comment here.
1: Yeah, who's <laughs> was, was that from? South know, Ball. It might be me, but I get the vibe that Martin might hate Matt.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this is that. There's some people who said there's clearly grudging respect from both of you. I'm just glad that I've had the opportunity. I didn't think that opportunity was going was gonna to come along. And it was interesting. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know you're going to ask me this, but I'll answer it anyway. Or half answer it. Sounds like my own I, I don't know. I don't know what I think. No, I think...
1: I think you've, you've kind of mellowed on him a bit more now and you can kind of see his side of the story a little bit better.
0: I think, I just think, what a crying shame. And I think what we mm. did two years ago when we discussed, and I probably was a little bit more harsh on him then than I was when I when I sat in front of his face a week ago. We described it, didn't we, as the Aston Villa. What was it, the Aston Villa decision or the Aston Villa
1: yeah, fallout where nobody
0: wins? And I think that's nailed it. Nobody's won. Yeah. Villa would still, I and mean, when we hope that that... Unai Emery is the man. Villa are still counting the cost of 12 years' worth of chaos and mismanagement with a couple of pockets of improvement in in there. And O'Neill is still clearly a man with with a massive, massive regret for for what's gone on. Um, Mm. So I think my biggest feeling is that, yeah, he's acknowledged it. He's acknowledged that that it was wrong. Yeah. but nobody comes out of it particularly well. You know, Randy Lerner, you know, we take O'Neill's word for it that that, that's what – something forced him out. So why shouldn't it be the the account that O'Neill's given us? So if you're not going to keep James Milner, sign Scott Parker and stick to your promise, why say it? You know, why why is that conversation – why is that decision had to be had in August – Mm-hmm. Why is there not a very clear... And I think I think O'Neill alluded to the fact that I think he went to, to Lerner's house, which is kind of in the countryside, I think near Bodymore, or was, um, at the end of the season. And they they tried to kind of soften their stance and, and clear the air a little bit. That should have been... That that meeting then, two grown men, very experienced businessmen and a very experienced football man, should have had an idea exactly what budget they had, exactly what they expected 2010 11 Season to look like that mm-hmm. shouldn't have been allowed to drag into the start of August. And I suppose where I've changed, I thought O'Neill should have made the decision. If he knew all this was happening, he should mm-hmm. have gone with his head high. End of May, we got to the League Cup final in the March. We'd got to the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. We'd finished sixth. We'd got a few more points. I think we were knocking on the door of the top four. He could have gone then and said, "Listen, this is this is." as far as we can take the club i've been told that the the parameters are going to change it's going to be difficult for me to maintain let alone improve what i've done but i'm not sure whether o'neill knew that at mm. that stage then i'm not sure whether that had been communicated clearly enough to him it was it was 3 months too long it should have been it should have been cleared a lot sooner so i don't i don't necessarily forgive o'neill for for leaving it and going when he did um but i probably do understand it a little mm. bit
1: more, just on the structure. Quickly, the comment from Flat Bat, who said, "Love this podcast. You can hear the intelligence in every answer O'Neill gives. He seems like a really engaging person to have a bit of back and forth with." As someone who's in their mid twenties, he'll forever be my favourite Villa manager. Depending on what you know, he does, and that was kind of the key point for me. Mark kind of when you know, when you said came to me and said, "Let's start at the end." Mark kind of rebuttal. So that was. He had three good years and people who were born in the mid-90s and too young for the success of the mid-90s under Brian Little and Big Ron. Martin O'Neill is the best manager we've had in terms of league league, league position and stuff up until hopefully you we're know, going forward and we've had the Dean Smith promotion and stuff you know, between O'Neill and promotion pretty much nothing happened of any note to get excited about so we've got to kind of respect the the, the three good years of o'neill rather than just going mentally in mentalizing from, from minute one and like you said it would have made good tv if you walked out and said oh, i'm not doing this but you it's know, probably never going to happen with a, a book to promote but it's just kind of common courtesy to be respectful to him just a bit to be nice to him for for 20 minutes or so and then shift the agenda and say right we talked about the good times like now let's switch to the bad the biggest kind of question for most people in the comments is why it was so short i want to hear from danny harvey saying quickest 40-minute podcast i've ever listened to could listen to martin all day he brought me the closest things to the glory days of watching villa Matthew, I was expecting something around ninety to one hundred twenty minutes long. It feels quite short compared to other interviews you've done, and one from fourteen N who said the interview with John Gregory was three hours long. Martin O'Neill, the most I fascinating period. <laughs> well, that was probably too long. Martin O'Neill, the most fascinating person in Villa's recent history, is only forty minutes. What on low, upload the uncut version now in capitals? <laughs> there was one mini story that was cut out of that, and it's in the book where he went on a little bit of a tangent about. Um, Martin Larson's appearance fee and Doug Ellis kind of moaning about why did you bring him on as a sub for five minutes? Now I have to pay him the appearance fee. And he kind of started to talk about it and we said, oh, we'll talk about that later. And we didn't. So I cut that like 20 seconds out. Yeah. Everything else that was in that podcast was everything that he said in the room. There was no kind of stories cut out or things taken away and be saved for later or anything. Everything that we aired is everything that he said. And that's kind of the what doesn't make it a 10 out of 10 for me is going, I've thrown away a page of questions. I wanted... You know, an hour an hour and a half i wanted to ask this i wanted to delve deeper and we kind of went from right so you had the lead cup upset and filled out etc and then we had to pause to reset the cameras and then we were like right you've got about 10 minutes left and it was like whoa okay and it cuts back to you. And I think you say something like, so James Milner was the, the kind of catalyst for you leaving. And it looks like a bad edit.
0: You're saying that that was all, that we recorded everything that was said in the room. I think you had a bit of a small talk with him while I made a cup of tea. And uh, and, there, yeah. and then he had a bit of small talk with me about Unai Emery, saying positive things about Unai Emery. We wanted it to be done face-to-face because we thought yeah. it would make a better, a better interview. And, it does. You know, we haven't really been able to get out and about as much as we like. And that that's reawakened us a little bit, hasn't it, to say we want to try and do more of these face-to-face ones. So getting it face-to-face was important. So that limited the, the time anyway, uh, although we did have a little bit more time left on the room that we booked. Um, but also you know i think it was ben foster's fault wasn't it i think he was disappearing to um Leamington Way, i think to go and go on ben, ben foster's podcast so uh... yeah, we
1: were we were filming and ready and set up and he was uh, 10 or 15 minutes late because he'd gone he was in a previous interview before us and then he came to us and then like i said our cameras run for 30 minutes which is a common thing i think and you have to kind of stop and start again so i'll go right tap you on the shoulder we're about 29 minutes i'll stop it and start it and then it's like right we'll we're leaving at 1 for our taxi and you said to me well, oh, you know, what time is it now? And I was like, uh, 10 to. <laughs> so that's the way we have to kind of scrap everything. So if we didn't knew in a, known in advance, we've got 40 minutes, we probably would have cut out some of the questions in the first part and not asked them in the first place and, and jumped to the end. The fact that it was a little bit of an unknown of how long we we're actually going to get with him was probably a little bit of a kind of a limitation on our part. We should have made that very clear at the start. How long have we got here? Just no need to be fair to him.
0: Just basics.
1: Oh, no, Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Embarrassing really, um, <laughs> but I know O'Ne- O'Neill himself and his character and his personality, and kind of people questioning him, you know, what was he actually like? You know, was he was it kind of this spiky relationship? And all, you can mention that in a sec, but in terms of him, he walked into the room, he was very friendly, he was very nice, shook hands. Said somebody, somebody asked me actually in the trailer, you can see him like put his hands up for a sec and it cuts to black or whatever. And he's like, what, what was on O'Neill's hands?
2: Hello. Hello, how are Hello. you? How are you? to see you. After all these years. It's been a I'm Sorry, the reason my hands just uh, did that
0: cream stuff. Oh, that's all yeah. right. Keep looking young. Can you, we sit you in
1: here, Mark? He said at one point, you said something like, oh, I don't want to dig up kind of old old ground or whatever. And he was like, no, no, ask what you want. Say what you want. And there was no kind of limitations from his part and his PR people or whoever to say, you can't ask this, you can't say that. Again, like a, another bit of a, a semi-regret that we could have asked anything, but we just ran out of time to ask what we really
0: wanted. In terms of how he was like, with me, pretty much what you saw. To be honest, friendly, but with a kind of a steely kind of—I um, don't know. There's a hierarchy there, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, he's mind, anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm less scared of him as I was than I was. Uh, although that's probably. Um, if he does come back on again I will be equally scared again <laughs> but he was just yeah he was just he was just Martin wasn't he? the thing the thing that took me was um when you do presses and when I've met him before and stuff never the best at kind of maintaining eye contact for some reason that that was what was what struck me previously but you aren't or he, was, isn't. he wasn't but okay. with me maybe it was he just does not want to look at his face <laughs> but i felt it was a bit more engaging i felt we could i'm glad we did it in the same room because you could mm. feel that i'm not sure it would have been I'm not sure you'd have got that down a Zoom call if we'd have done as via a Zoom call.
1: Well, one of our sister sites, the Nottingham Post, did an interview with him as well for the Forest podcast that, that we do, and I produced it for them because it was done over Zoom and it, it was a different vibe. And obviously, Forest and, and Villa, it's a different conversation entirely. But again, the way we talked about setting the room up and how we're going to film it, I thought it was good and important to have you sat face-to-face face rather than sat next to each other. and It's such a minor thing because it's only two of you on screen, but rather than being sat side-by-side side and looking at each other, to be sat opposite a table and kind of look each other in the eye and kind of battle it out and thush it out, that that was more important to me because I just thought, you know, you've got to have that kind of relationship to, to kind of look him in the eye and, and say what you think because, again, we didn't quite know what to expect.
0: I don't know. I found a little bit sad, I suppose, was the, the fact when he said, you know, I still have to get when I've come back to Villa with Ireland. I have to be ushered through through quietly, sneaked in through the back door at Villa Park, and I shouldn't have to for what I've achieved. I shouldn't have to. And I don't know. It'll be interesting to see in the comments on this one. What do people think? You know, can you ever see a day where Martin O'Neill is paraded? You know, kind of interviewed on the pitch by by the the, the stadium announcer and. You know, no, kind of giving a... Giving, giving a round of applause from all four, court, four, four sides of Villa Park. I don't know. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see whether people think that 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 would happen or should happen.
1: I'm going to wrap this up, though, and let you go because I know you've got another meeting in a second. <laughs> We're almost at the stage where this behind the scenes is longer than the Martin O'Neill interview, <laughs> which will annoy me even more for some reason. So I'm going to call it a I'll day. There's so
0: much more I wanted to ask, Dan
1: there really is like again we could talk about the interview for another hour because he's so interesting um, so that's again that's my overarching feeling that I'm just slightly frustrated it wasn't longer but yeah I still think it I said it was like a 6.5 7 out of 10 on the way back after we filmed it once I'd edited it together and I've seen the reaction i will go 8 out of 10 still room for improvement but better than I thought
0: we'll know this when we get Remy Gard won't we oh
1: <sighs> God, imagine if you've got 33 minutes into the behind-the-scenes, and you've not seen it—that'd be quite weird. But I'm going to end this podcast with the trailer. Um, so, if you've not seen it, here's a little taster, and then I'll leave the link down below to go and watch the full thing. If you have watched it, thank you for your feedback. Thanks for your comments—we both appreciate it. And now uh, we'll see you again in a couple of days. Cheers, everyone!
0: Is yeah, still does it still? Of, okay? of course, of course it does. Me too. <laughs> Absolutely, it really <laughs> rankles
2: with me because it's a sending-off offence. It's the rule of the game. I was desperately wanting Aston Villa to get into the, to the Champions League, which is what I thought that all the Villa fans would want. It. This was the last 32 of a competition. We're playing a lot of games that season. If leaving at the football club taints everything about it, there is absolutely nothing I can do about it. Would I change, would I do, do it differently? Absolutely.